hello. I'm so excited to be here today with one of the most incredible women who's making global change. Shelly Zalas, thank you so much for being here with me. Are you kidding, Lisa? I just am so grateful for being in your circle. You tell such incredible stories. You bring visibility to remarkable women all over the globe. And the impact that you are making is outstanding. So I'm all in with you. Whatever you want, the answer is always yes. You're so nice. I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm so excited to be here with you. I forgot to even say that I'm Lisa Niver from We Said Go Travel. That never happens to me, but I, I'm just so impressed with everything that you've built with the female quotient. And, and for people that aren't familiar with you, one of my favorite things is you talk about, you know, first there was IQ with the intellect, then there was EQ with the emotions, but then you built the FQ. So could you tell people that aren't familiar with how did you come, how did this come together for you? It means so much to you and all the women you've really, really changed their lives. Oh, thank you. You know what? It happened by accident. So I say, you know, the female quotient was born. You know, we started as a moment. We turned it into a movement and now it's a business. So I am now in the business of equality. Um, I did not have a roadmap and it certainly was not in a textbook. It all really came from my heart. So I talk a lot about heartbeat moments. You can have cognitive moments, you know, your head, but that's you justify, you rationalize, you know, that really is about um, the cognitive. But when you follow your heart, ba-boom, 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 it just leads you wherever it's going to. And that's when you know you're doing the right thing. You got, you got to follow your heart. And it's where, you know, female intuition and follow your heart. Now I understand all of those things. So I started in the business of market research. I was the only woman on the top 25 in market research my whole career. I knew I thought differently. I knew I acted differently, but I was never in charge. I wasn't the boss, so I was never right. So whenever I wanted to zig or zag, it was not legacy, you know, ways of doing things. And we all know that the rules of the workplace were written over a hundred years ago by men for men. And we have to follow legacy leadership, walk in their shoes, but those shoes, A are ugly, never fit me. Um, and so I did inherit the name chief troublemaker very early on in my career. I broke all the rules that made no sense, created the new ones. And so, you know, my career really started, you know, early on at the age of 25, when I was in market research, my first review, I thought I was going to be this like perfect employee and get a bonus and a promotion and told how great I was. And instead I walked into a review, six typewritten pages, the first three lines, nicety. I'm nice. I'm kind. I'm smart. I'm a good team player. But then the rest of little small print ripped me to shreds. I push people out of their comfort zone. I expect people to um, jump when clients have ideas. I spend too much time with clients, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And in that moment, I was 25. I'm now 59. And I will never forget this. And I still have the six pages because it affected me in such a remarkable way. And so, you know, I thought to myself, A, I'm supposed to sign the paper and agree with the review, but I really didn't agree. No. And so I remember looking at my boss, a man, and I said to him, wow, you've just made the biggest mistake of your life. I said, because you are not understanding the value of relationships and how important you know, those relationships are and that our clients are the ones defining our business, not our business defining what clients want. Anyways, 
I didn't win that battle and I got not demoted, but they put a woman ahead of me. You know, they promoted a woman above me. Why? Because they said we're a research company and she's a researcher. Um, that was really my first heartbeat moment. And then the second was when I had this idea to pioneer online research and move it from offline to online. And I went to all my bosses, my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's boss, all men. And I said, why don't we move research from telephone and central location to the internet? But it was way ahead of its time. Only wealthy old men with broadband were on the internet. And my bosses all told me it wasn't the right time. I'm like, okay. And so there next week, I'm on a panel with the head of market research for Procter & Gamble, the largest marketer in the world. And my bosses are all in the front row and I'm whispering to him and I come off the stage and like, oh my God, what'd you talk to him about? I said, I just asked him, when is the right time? Because you told me there's supposed to be a time. I want to know when is the right time to talk about migrating research from offline to online. And they said, what did he say? He said, next week. I said, so we're going to Procter and Gamble. And my bosses said, great, John will go, Paul will go, Ringo will go, and Star will go. And I'm like, but what about Shelly? And they said, you know, it's really a boys club, and we think this is the right team to go. I said, well, if I'm not going, I'm going to cancel the meeting, and you can all wait for the right time. And so those were all really important moments for me of following my heart. And I, we ultimately went to Proctor. We we sold in, you know, a big business of experimenting. I then left and started my own company because I wanted to be right. I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to create the culture that I could thrive in. I, you know, all of those things. And that was a really important moment. And then of course I built the, the fastest growing research company in the world online, sold it to Ipsos, worked at Ipsos Global Innovation. And then I realized that it was time for me to give back with generosity what I wish I had rising the ranks. And I wanted to go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which was in Las Vegas, 150,000 people, less than 3% women. And even for me as the CEO of a research company, successful, sold my company, had an exit, you know, I still was intimidated. How am I going to go by myself to this conference where I'm not going to know anyone? I'm going to, no one's going to bring me into their circles. And so I had once again, the choice to make, do I not go because it was scary and, you know, uncomfortable, or do I do what I did? Call a few girlfriends and invite them to go with me. And that is really how the female quotient was born. And that's a long winded story, of course, but it really is a true story and one that was based on real experiences. And here I invited four girlfriends, told them to invite their girlfriends. 24 hours later, 50 women showed up. And two remarkable things happened. One, every guy's head turned, like where the heck did all you women come from? Which is what I call a power of the pack moment. A woman alone is power, collectively we have impact. Or a woman alone is invisible, together we're visible. You know, it was this whoosh, right? And the second thing was I was surrounded by women that had some of the same challenges, yes. work-life balance, perfection, imposter syndrome. How do you, you know, become visible with your strengths that have typically been invisible strengths, the soft power, the feminine powers. And next thing you knew, you know, 50 turned into 
350 to 3,000 to now we've created the largest global community of women in the workplace, 50,000 plus plus. And that really is how the female quotient was born. We started as a girl's lounge to take on the boys club. The opposite of girl is boy. The opposite of club is lounge. If there's a boys club, now there's a girl's lounge. No apology needed, permission granted by us. Um, and, and standing up, standing out, and standing together with our strengths and, and flipping the equation. And then the female quotient became the umbrella. First came IQ, the intelligence quotient, then came EQ, the emotional quotient, now comes FQ, the female quotient. When you add more women to any equation, there's a return on equality. And so we're all about changing the equation and flipping the script and flipping the balance. It's, it's really been incredible for me to be in some of those lounges and see the power of women. And, and you know, I've been with you at the at Ad Week in New York. We've been at events together in Los Angeles. You're in Davos, CES. I mean, everywhere something's happening, you're there, which is amazing because I think maybe there's several of you, but there's actually only one of you. So you've so many things going on and and really with the equality lounges, you've never missed a beat. You, you went virtual, now you're hybrid. COVID could not keep you down. Um, but tell us the, the new exciting thing I wanna know about is the global pack with the dinners. Tell us how that happened and what's going on because it's uh, gonna reach so many women in so many countries. Yeah, you know, the, the world is quite big, but we really believe that women are gonna close all the gaps because we've had those experiences and not that, it is our, not that it is our responsibility, but when you feel based on you know, experience, you move from sympathy to empathy, and you also take it on as your responsibility, especially when you're in a position of power where you can make a difference. And so we thought, what if we could unite the world through the power of women in a hundred countries? Sounds hard, but it actually isn't because as women, we are nurturers. We are compassionate. We are passionate. We want to bring everyone together. And so we did a pay it forward model and COVID actually was uh, unfortunate in so many ways. Women were set back in, in a lot of ways, but what was positive was using virtual, which is so much easier to have dinner in Rwanda on Tuesday and India on Thursday and Islamabad the following week and Saudi Arabia and Kenya sitting in my office here connecting women is a pretty good way to go. So we decided we're going to do it during COVID. And so three months ago, we launched the Global Pack Dinners and it's it's really a pay it forward multiplier effect dinner party. So we decided to take the world, six regions, 10 countries per region. If we could have 25 hosts per country, at the end of the country dinner, those 25 pay it forward to 10. So 25 times 10, 250 women per country, 250 women times 10 countries, 2,500 women per region. 2,500 women times 10 after the regional dinner, 25,000, 25,000 times six, 150,000. Amazing. So, not complicated, <laughs> very doable. Okay. It's about, you know, and the whole concept of the dinner party was not necessarily about eating, although women can drink, they can eat, they can do whatever they want. 
but it's when you're at a dinner party, you are inviting people to have uncomfortable conversations together because you're friends right. and because you feel comfortable together. And when there's no seat at the table, what do you do? You either make the table bigger, you pull up another chair or you share a lap. We don't care. There's always room at the table and we will make room at every table for everyone. And that is the concept. And also we want to make it inclusive. Your network, bring 10 women from your network. I'll bring 10 women from mine. The women in Ghana will bring 10 from theirs. This is how we create an equitable table where everyone is seen, everyone is heard, everyone has the power to make a difference and to pay it forward. And so that's what it's all about. And so in the last three months, we've held over 32 dinner parties already. Oh, wow. Um, we already did our Africa regional dinner. We are about to host our LATAM regional dinner party. We will focus our Asia dinner um, around Tokyo, around the Olympics. And, and then we will have, you know, the annual 150,000 person dinner party, which will be first of its kind, the largest global ever dinner party with women in the workplace. Shelly, it, it's, it's mind blowing how many things you do. And I think one of the things is you just keep saying, you know, it's all about relationships and it's, it's about connection and you're so good at that. And um, one of the things I remember um, was just starting was the college campuses, the next gen women. And I know it's so important to you as a mother and as a business person and as a mentor. So what's happening right now? Because obviously college campuses have been greatly impacted by COVID. Yeah, so we believe next gen is the now generation. And you know, leadership is not about age, it's about action. And this is the first time in history we actually have five generations in the workplace, Gen Z coming in, traditionalists moving out, but retiring later. And, you know, oftentimes we, you know, the next gen doesn't want to work with people their mother's age or their parents' <laughs> age, you know, and people my age sometimes don't respect and admire younger people. We don't think they know anything. I have to say we are so poorly mistaken because we all learn from each other. And you know that's why we call it mentorship in the moment. It's not about wisdom from the top down or bottom up. It's sharing the knowledge all around because we learn bits and bites from everybody. And so, you know, the next generation is part of everything we do. Uh, we are not doing physical pop-ups on campus, obviously because of COVID, just like we're not doing physical pop-up lounges at conferences, but we are integrating next gen in our panels, you know, in thought leadership, uh, they're moderating. So they're holding the mic. Uh, they are also interstitials in between panels, you know, like we have FQ correspondence where they are, sending in content from you know everywhere their opinion matters their perspective matters their voices matter we are listening to hear and listening to learn and listening to grow and we're doing that all together and so we connect next gen with um, middle management which we call the messy middle and the messy middle with leadership forward which is you know senior leaders and we are all growing together as one big community of women supporting other women in the workplace it's it's really so impressive and i know you have you know staggering statistics about how much better businesses do when they include women and the equality calculator can you talk a little bit about you talk sometimes about parity policy and pipeline i think there might even be a fourth p people people 
Yeah, well, that was a new one that we added. But, you know, when you think about um, it takes two things to truly change the equation for women in the workplace. One, creating a community of women supporting other women. And as we know, Madeline Albright says, women that don't support other women deserve a special place in hell. We actually go with the positive. Women supporting other women deserve a special place in heaven. And when we help others rise, we all shine. And that is the beauty. And with the Global Pack, I can now reach out in our LinkedIn community to women in Saudi Arabia or women in Pakistan or women in Israel or women in um, Kenya or women in you know, Nigeria, anywhere in the world and say, I'm coming to Saudi Arabia. I will get a yes, what time are you landing? And you know, I will automatically have a pack surrounding me. And so I think that that is um, what is so important about all of the things you know that we do you know supporting different women in the workplace and so um what was your what did you want to know about <laughs> you were going to talk about the all the p's parity policy pipeline yeah passion okay. positivity people got a lot of p's yeah and so you know there's this is what i was going to tell you there's there's two pieces that matter. One is the community, you know, women supporting other women. And the other is closing the gaps. And we have a lot of equity gaps, parity, pay gap, right? And we know that women on average make 82 cents on the dollar, black women, 64 cents on the dollar, Latinas, 53 cents on the dollar. Terrible. So, you know, I always say equality is a choice. Unconscious bias is an excuse. If you say unconscious bias, you're conscious. Yes. So once I just told you what the gap is, figure it out, then close it. And you can't close it a little because legacy runs faster than reality. There's going to continuously be gaps. So you have to shut the door of, you know, inequity and open the new one of equality. So that's parity. And we built an advancing equality calculator with city so that it's a simple three numbers to put in so C-suite can actually be conscious of what their gap is in their corporation, decide what they want to do about it, and then we can help them figure out how to close it. Um, the second is um, policies. What are the policies and the benefits that you should be focusing on, showcasing, putting your money into programs that will help keep women in the workplace. Because we know we started about 50-50, we ended at, at about 17% in C-suite, we're losing women in the messy middle. Why? Because caregiving kicks in and they are primary caregivers. And we see in COVID the disproportionate impact on women, women of color and primary caregivers. So how do we attract and retain our best talent and not just our available talent? Because we've also seen, especially in COVID, a lot of women opting out, not even furloughed, job reduction and salary reduction, but opting out because of their caregiving responsibilities. They can't do it. Um, and then the third pipeline, it's not just filling the pipeline with diversity, but it's the pathway to leadership. Yes. How do we ensure that we are upskilling and retaining you know, truly our talent past the messy middle? And then the fourth is people and the upskilling that you know we need and not just women in, um, you know, uh, in the workplace, but also women in marginalized and underserved parts of the world. I mean, internet access, giving people the tools they need, not only for equal opportunity, but for equitable positioning. 
to give people, you know, the equal footing to be able to successfully navigate the workplace. So these are all of the toolkits that we create. We also do boot camps to help companies become a quality fit, to be conscious now of their unconscious. It starts with awareness, then education. And what we do a lot of work on is the actions that you can take. And they're not three-year plans. There's immediate actions that you can take that'll go a long way to closing the gaps and driving change. Absolutely. And, and you really, in the time that I've known you, have made so many changes and helped so many people. One thing I know you're also working on with the FQ collection is related to the sustainable developmental goals and goal number five about equality. And I remember at one conference, you spoke about a young woman who you met, and then you flew her to an event, and she introduced you when you got a major award. Uh, she's giving me shivers. Um, so back to our collection, you know, a lot of people talk about ROI, return on investment. We are all about return on impact, ROI, return on impact, and impacting change. And for me, that is a leaving a living legacy of change. And so... 20% of everything we do goes to making a difference in the world and helping girls around the world from education to, you know, the digital divide, the care economy, um, economic empowerment, upskilling, financial literacy, you know, all the things that, you know, girls need to truly make a difference. And so we were invited to the World Economic Forum in Africa, and it was in Rwanda. And there's, you know, my new favorite word is synchronicity, right time, right place, right energy force, because you can't make this up. It's not serendipity. It is not haphazard coincidence. Things happen truly for a reason. So several years earlier in one of our equality lounges at Can Lions, I met this amazing woman named Donna who works at Dansu and they call her Rwanda Donna. And she came to me and she says, I have a video to show um, about the work that I'm doing in orphanages in Rwanda to help educate girls. Can I show it in the lounge? And she shows it. And it moved me so much. And I said to her, Donna, if I ever go to Rwanda, I promise you I will visit the schools. I had no idea that I was ever going to be going to Rwanda. Lo and behold, the World Economic Forum not only holds their annual in Davos, Switzerland, which we have, you know, the Equality Lounge, but they have regional. So it happened to be that the Africa Regional WEF, World Economic Forum, was in Rwanda. And so the meeting was on a Wednesday. So I planned my trip around Wednesday and I called Donna. I say, I'm going to Rwanda. This is five years later. I am going to Rwanda. I'm, I am honoring my commitment to you. Um, I would like to go visit your schools on Monday and Tuesday. I'll go early so that we can visit. She goes, great. She lived in New York because I'm coming with you. Oh, I wow. said, terrific. She jumps on a plane. We meet in Rwanda. We go it was pouring rain. We, we drove five hours or something in these back roads, muddy roads to go visit these schools. And I have to say that I say that a moment of mentorship led to a lifetime of impact for me and for these girls. I met 500 girls throughout different, different ages, different schools that touched my heart in ways I can't even express. 
And at the end of the day, I said to 10 girls, would you like to come to the World Economic Forum on Wednesday? And they got a bus. They said, yes. I said, I'm going to put each of you at a different table. And it was going to be our quality labs with the women of Africa, the most powerful women from the World Economic Forum. And so I put each girl at a different table. I said, you're going to be the host of the table. And I said, and when I use the word confidence, you stand up and say, confidence is beautiful. And I want you each to think about what you want to gain from this day. Wednesday comes, the girls all come in their uniforms, they're all sitting at tables. And the girls that I actually expected to speak up were not the ones that spoke up. There was a young girl named Esther. She was listening to all the panels. She gets up and she looks at the women and she says, ladies, I wanna know where does your confidence come from? Throughout the day, women were saying, Esther, let me tell you, Esther, let me tell you. And these girls were so brilliantly hosting their tables with elegance and with their voice. And it was so inspiring. To wrap the day, a young girl, she was 13 at the time, her name is Amen, got up. She looked at the room of these women and she said, ladies, let me tell you something. She said, you changed my life here forever. You made me realize that my voice is as important, if not more important than the boys. And that it is my responsibility to go back to school and share what I felt from each and every one of you today so that I could pay it forward to all the other girls that can't be here. Wow, that's- Not amazing. a dry eye in the room, standing ovation. Two years later, I received the Matrix Award in New York. And everyone is, you know, has celebrities giving them awards or whatever. And I decide I would like a man to give me the award. And the Matrix Award is a communication award in the industry. It's a pretty, pretty big award. I call a man and I said, um, would you come to New York and give an award to me? And she says, well, I have never been on an airplane. I don't have a passport. Um, no one in my family, in the history of my family has ever been on an airplane, but absolutely I will be there. I said, great. We got her her passport. We got her, you know, all the documents that she needed and she flew to New York. The first thing she said to me, I took her to Bloomingdale's <laughs> to get her something that she would wanna wear. And she said to me, she took the escalator and she says, oh my God, it felt like my feet were being swallowed you know, by the, you know, the escalator. The second thing she said is on the airplane, she felt like her head was in the clouds and her body was on a chair. Aww. And then we show up at the Matrix Award and it's cameras and it's a, it's a big deal. And we're both sitting on the stage and there were a few, several other recipients of the award. And we were probably sixth up. And we're sitting on the stage and at the dais and our food comes and she said, she, you know, she didn't want to eat. And I said, you can eat. She goes, but there's so many people. I said, it's fine. If you don't eat, I won't eat. If not, we'll eat together. And I had prepared remarks and she had prepared remarks that I did not know what she was going to talk about. 
And she had to also learn how to use a teleprompter because she put her speech on a teleprompter. She was very nervous. And so I said to her, Amen, do you want me to go up with you and I'll hold your hand while you give me the award? And she goes, no, I can do this. She gets up and to tell you, Lisa, she with this booming presence spoke to a thousand powerful people in the room with command of the audience, with confidence oozing out of every part of her <laughs> and with a message that was so poignantly heartfelt and real and beautiful. I'm sitting here sobbing, you know, so whatever makeup I was wearing is now dripping down my face and um, it's, I have to come up to receive it. And I decided whatever my speech was, was not what I was feeling in that moment. I get up and I'm shaking and she gives me the award and she feels me shaking. She looks at me and she says, do you want me to stay up here with you and hold your hand? Oh, <laughs> And like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was probably the most important moment for me ever. And I have to say probably the most important moment for everyone in the audience and for everyone else that received that matrix award to in that moment, talk about heartbeat, to understand the impact we can have on someone and someone can have on you. And that's why I say, if I can change one life, I feel like what I am doing today is meaningful. And that is my amen story. And now she's, I think, 16 or 17. And she's someone that will always be really important in my life. I follow her journey. I'm always here, you know, when she needs me, she's always there when I need her. And who knows where these things come from, but that's what happens. It was a magical moment and something that has inspired me to keep going, to keep doing, to keep being, to, to keep learning, to keep being open to these remarkable people that come into my life. And that, that's that. Oh my goodness, Shelly, that's an amazing story. <laughs> We're both crying. <laughs> but um, I, I think that, that that truly is a great example of, of this community you've created where you say, you know, um, we have an impact, we are a movement, we are a community. I agree with you, you know, the connection starts one person at a time, but you've been able to create this revolution with the dinners and the lounges and the way that you make sure nobody feels alone. Because I've been there. I've been, you know, when you say it's lonely at the top, it, I've been there. And it's not that there are, I don't have friends, but when you know, you think and act differently and you have to, you know, continue to be you if you want to be authentic and, you know, I, I couldn't follow legacy leadership. It didn't work for me. It, it is lonely. And I know what that's like. And, you know, before I went to CES, you know, I remember going to Cannes. I wanted to break research into the media business. And I was invited to go to Cannes, but 
no one welcomed me into their circles. I'm a researcher. I was, you know, the lowest on the totem pole of marketing and media. And I went to all the opening dinners, you know, that you go to when you have nowhere to go. I wasn't invited to the, the, the exclusive dinner parties or anything. And I remember walking back on the closet to my room thinking, how am I ever going to break into an industry when no one knows me? I don't have a circle. Put me in market research. I know everyone. I feel comfortable and I always welcome everyone in, but no one was going to just say, hey, who are you? When there's thousands of people there. And when I wanted to go to CS, I remember what I thought about at camp. And that's why we have pop-ups at, big, at every industry conference, because I don't want anyone to ever feel alone. I want everyone to have that confidence because they're surrounded by people that are going to come and say, hi, how are you? Not know you because of what your badge. We don't have badges. I don't want anyone to come over to someone because they are a senior level position or at a certain company that they want to meet. I want people to discover one another. I want people to welcome one another. I want everyone to feel comfortable and know that they belong. And so that has been really important to me based on my personal experiences. And now what makes me so happy is, you know, we have a board meeting. I have, you know, a hundred board members, which are basically all of our partners, two women from every company. And we do a Sunday before can get together. It's not like we sit and really have a board meeting. The board meeting is connecting with one another so that all these women can have a network network is so important yes. of women, even if they're in competitive businesses. It is about a support system where you can ask someone anything and the answer is going to be yes. And then they're going to say, and what is it that I can do for you? That's our community. Yes. And right. It, it, it really is. And when I, when I watch what comes uh, from the news from the female quotient is you know, women veterans and women in the sports summit in Cleveland and Mother's Day and Feminist Father's Day. And, you know, there's there's no industry I can think of where you're not in, you know, like you said, Can Lions or the World Economic Summit and every country. It's 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 very, very impressive. Well, you know, also when we were invited to the World Economic Forum six years ago, my invitation was as follows. We would like for you to come but you might not feel welcome. That's what it said? It wasn't in paper. It was the call that I got. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, because we started as the girls' lounge and the World Economic Forum are world leaders. You know, we evolved to Equality Lounge because we've already done a good job connecting women with other women. Equality Lounge is all about closing the gaps. It's a leadership lounge to close the gaps. Advance women, advance equality. And so, you know, once again, I had the choice. Don't go because that's not really a very inviting invitation or do what I did, which was say, great, we're coming. And then, of course, the next phone call was to a few women in, in finance. Um, you know, Jackie Kelly, who was at Bloomberg at the time, I said, Jackie, will you go with me to the World Economic Forum because I don't want to go by myself. And I have to say that six years later, we are the destination for equality at the World Economic Forum. And so it does take courage, it does take bravery, but for me, my courage, my bravery, my confidence comes from the pack. When we go together, it's not scary. Going alone is scary. And you know, the only way you change the equation is with no apology, no permission needed, you just take it and own it. And sometimes it takes being the first to create the second, the third. You know, once you go, you create this platform for everyone to know it's okay. Someone's gotta go first. So, you know, now I'm not afraid to be first because I know that we're all gonna go together and we're gonna have a great time doing it too.
And that's how the equation changes by just deciding to change it. The World Economic Forum has less than 17% of um, their WEF members are women. We now bring 50 women with us. So when you walk on the street in Davos now, you see women. We just flip the script and change the equation by choice. And we have a big slumber party. We're us. We're not. We, we have all of us are staying in different villas and it's, it's a slumber party, <laughs> but it's about relationships. And if you go back to the beginning of this interview, I told you I was dinged on relationships. Yes. My greatest power is relationships. So that's why connect the dots. I had to follow my heart. If I followed the textbook, I would still be that girl in a review being told there's, there's no power in relationships. So, well, I, I think I speak for many women around the world that were very happy you asked, is it time yet? And that you made change happen and that you're advancing equality and closing the gaps. And Shelly, it's been supremely my honor to speak to you today. You're so inspiring. Just before you leave us, um, if people want to participate, what's the best way to get involved with the Female Quotient and the Equality Lounges? Thank you so much. You can follow us at Female Quotient or at Shelly Zalas. You can go on the website, Female Quotient, sign up uh, to get inf you know, invitations to everything that we do. And um, you know, it's about the we. You know, we're all in this together. We go further, we go faster when we go together. That is for sure. So this is about all of us. Uh, working, supporting, um, and holding ourselves responsible and accountable for creating the changes that we want to see in the world today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I can't wait as the world opens up more that we can be together in person besides virtually. I know you're having hybrids and I just really appreciate your leadership and thank you so much for speaking with me today. Well, and I appreciate all that you do to tell the stories, to share the stories, to amplify the stories and to use your voice for change. So thank you, Lisa, for all that you do. You are remarkable.